Hey, it's Dina. Before listening to today's episode, you may want to go back and listen to last week's program. It was about a digital rights group in Mexico that found some documents that seemed to prove that the Mexican army had infected the phones of human rights officials and journalists with Pegasus software. But they weren't just vacuuming up their communications. They were using the information to paint critics as criminals or as working with the cartels. It's been a major story in Mexico. So major that last week, President Andre Manuel López Obrador had to address it all publicly. It's We have to do investigations, but not spying. That's different, he said at a press conference. The media outlets that published the allegations, he continued, were all against him. But it wasn't just media outlets that published these smoking gun documents. The revelations were courtesy of Latin America's most prolific group of hacktivists, a collective called Guacamaya. They aren't your average threat actor. They're part of a wave of politically motivated hackers. And in their case, they've been cracking into government institutions all over Latin America and then releasing documents in a bid to hold them to account. When they burst on the scene last year, it wasn't with a hack. It was with a manifesto. Do you think that we could actually get you to read the start of the manifesto in Spanish? Um, yes, you know, as long as Homeland Security doesn't think I'm, you know, (laughs) behind Guacamaya, that would be... (laughs) It's a treatise that focuses on what they call centuries of injustice. Um, so you want me to go ahead? Please. Five centuries, 529 years of genocide, terricide, loading and violations of the territory of Apiayala, five centuries of struggle and resistance. We have spirit and love. We dream of returning to clear days and continuing on the paths in harmony and balance with our mother, the earth. This does not sound like the typical hacker manifesto to me. Right. In the past year, Guacamaya has become a force because it's managed to release some 25 terabytes of data since March 2022. Among their offerings, 400,000 emails from the Joint Chiefs of Defense in Chile, evidence that the Peruvian army is monitoring human rights groups. And then there are those Mexican spyware documents that we talked about before. I'm Dina Templerast, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, Quién es Guacamaya, or Who is Guacamaya? The group used to target oil and mining companies for exploiting the land, and their decision to now focus on regional militaries has rocked Latin America. Their leaks haven't just made the Mexican president's life more complicated. They've led to the resignation of a top Chilean military official, and their ability to hack into these institutions have raised fresh questions about the lax security surrounding the region's most classified secrets. And these hacks? Well, they aren't all that complicated. If you put on your technical hat for a second, are are they very skilled hackers? Can you tell? Um, I think not. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily. 
from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Guacamaya is the Mayan word for macaw, like big, colourful parrot. And like the macaw, the group isn't all that subtle in its efforts to get your attention. It's taken to communicating with the world in a way that's hard to ignore. They put out press releases and videos that are a catchy blend of Latino art and amazing music. And just to give you the full flavor of their creative productions, in addition to the soundtrack, the videos look like Frida Kahlo meets Henri Rousseau. This one you're hearing now, it opens with a jungle scene. Think colorful, lush plants, polka-dotted mushrooms, little cheetahs climbing a tree. And then perched on a branch is a scarlet macaw. He has a laptop open on his wing. The Guacamaya hacking MO is actually pretty straightforward. They crack into networks, they steal emails and their attachments, and then they put them on a website that only journalists and researchers can access. From there, the emails tend to speak for themselves, exposing these organizations from the inside and then allowing the world to decide what to make of it all. I think what they are doing is providing an accountability of sorts um, that has been demanded before. This is Cecilia Farfan, our manifesto reader. She's actually the head of research at the Center for U.S.-Mexican Studies at the University of California, San Diego. And she's been following Guacamaya since it started its hack and leak campaign last year. And she says the way the group places itself in the sweep of history makes it different from hacking groups we usually see. They're talking about, you know, centuries of struggle. So they're, they're saying that it's not, you know, the loading that we see today in some areas of the continent is not a coincidence, but rather the product of imperialism and neocolonialism. And so there's- And how do you get from neocolonialism to military institutions? Cecilia says Guacamaya sees the human rights abuses at the hands of the military across the region as just an extension of what's been going on for centuries. Their manifesto says the U.S. and Western corporations have ravaged Central America and local militaries have just become their enablers. You know, they're talking about kind of how we got here. And so they're they're saying that, you know, the loading that we see today in some areas of the continent is very much the result of these long-term processes that have been happening in the continent for, for centuries. So this isn't about money or fame, which typically motivates today's hacking groups, This is hacking meets neo-Marxism, hacking in the service of a political agenda, that manifesto that Cecilia read earlier. I think there is a sense of this cause that's greater uh, than them. 
In a nutshell, they want to help the people of Latin America reclaim what they see as rightfully theirs. One of our colleagues at The Record, Jonathan Gregg, exchanged emails with the group back in October. And he asked them directly what they were hoping to accomplish with all of this. And they said, leaks are their weapon. We're using an AI-generated voice to hear Guacamaya's response. Leaks are a form of the fight. Guacamaya publishes videos on how to do this type of leak so anyone from any corner of the motherland can be part of Guacamaya. The videos are an invitation to use this tool of hacking for rebellion and resistance. Make no mistake, while there's a Robin Hood vibe here, that little macaw with his laptop is breaking the law. Guacamaya is stealing these internal emails and classified documents they release. When we come back, a look at how Guacamaya does it. And we talk to people who are trying to figure out who the heck they are. For example, when I was when I was chatting with them, I was speaking in Spanish. And their Spanish is perfect. La la la. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. So this is music from another of Guacamaya's catchy videos. This one has got a sort of hacker thing going on. I asked the CEO of a cybersecurity company in Mexico called Security to watch it with me. His name is Hiram Camarillo. In the video, we can see a girl hacking. It begins with a painting of a woman in front of a keyboard. She's wearing some kind of headdress. It looks kind of like a jaguar, and its paws are draped over her shoulders. And above her is a flashing cursor and some code, and the code is running an automated scanning program. Just a couple of clicks, and it starts looking for vulnerabilities in the system, all on its own. So they're scanning the port 443. So port 443 isn't just some random port. It's used to transmit secure traffic on the internet. And it's one of those ports that hackers just love to start working with because it has vulnerabilities, little bugs that hackers can take advantage of. They are just checking there is a Microsoft Exchange server. If there is a Microsoft Exchange server, they're using the script. They are scanning and then they are using Nmap to check if there is a vulnerability in the server. Nmap, checking for a vulnerability in the server. It's another one of those automated tools that are kind of point and click. And it's really popular among both ethical and black hat hackers. It's another tool for just massive scans. It's used to map a network to see what's on it, how it's configured. Once they check with Nmap that the server has some vulnerabilities, they are using the Python scripts to exploit those vulnerabilities and to start downloading the information from the server. A lot of hackers use a computer language called Python. It's an open source basic language that can help hackers break into large databases. 
And a couple of seconds later on this Guacamaya video, something lights up. A scan found a vulnerability. And it actually says so on the screen. Server vulnerable to proxy shell, it reads. And all you need to know about that is that proxy shell exploits some known coding bugs in Microsoft Exchange servers. And they're telling the people how they exploit, what they use. Microsoft has sent out patches for these vulnerabilities, but if you didn't run the patch, well, hackers can see that with their scan. The video Guacamaya released lays all this out. The cursor flashes some more, and then all of a sudden the screen is covered with email addresses. It looks like it's filled with, like, personal email addresses. They are using the Python scripts to exploit... One hack, in this case against a military server, right before your eyes. What it shows is that Guacamaya's hacking isn't all that sophisticated. But it doesn't have to be. It turns out Latin American institutions aren't all that good about their cybersecurity. In Mexico, it's even worse. To break into their systems, Guacamaya didn't have to do anything ingenious. It just had to download some software. And Guacamaya said as much to Hiram in an email exchange. When I asked them the, how they had Sedena, they said that... Sedena is the Mexican Secretariat of National Defense. They found the exploits on GitHub. GitHub is a collaboration platform software developers use to swap information about code or to talk about vulnerabilities they found. And it's public. And they download those exploits and they start to test and they just check and they realize that they can exploit it. Hiram says all these videos and explanations about how they hacked into these military institutions serve two purposes. They're meant to be tutorials and they're meant to be a kind of public record. A way to say, this is how we did it. In Latin American countries, most of the time they say, ah, no, maybe it's, it's, it's an insider. It's not a hacker. Uh, so the people don't believe that there is outside uh, people with that skills that just can uh, hack a company and download six terabytes of information. Think of it as a proof of hack video. Documented proof that this wasn't an inside job. So I think that's why they publish this information, that this is what, they, what we did. Just if there is someone that can understand this code, just read it and does understand it, and that's it. So when the Guacamaya military leaks first happened last year, Mexican President Obrador didn't deny that the hack was legit. But he did try to dismiss Guacamaya as just an irritant nobody needed to pay attention to. This macaw, he said, with a wave of his hand, has become a buzzard. Which brings us back to the biggest question of all. Quién es Guacamaya? Who is this macaw? Some people suggest that the bird itself is a clue. They are from Guatemala or they are from Costa Rica. Costa Rica and Guatemala have national parks full of macaws. Others say the bird mascot is just a head fake. They think Guacamaya is really a nation-state operation. For example, most of the people say that uh, maybe they are Chinese hackers. But Hiram says given everything he's seen, that seems far-fetched. Why? 
their Spanish is too good, too full of colloquialisms and cultural references. Cecilia Farfan, the researcher from UCSD, agrees. And she says the way they write suggests something else, that guacamaya is full of women. They're using uh, language that draws from feminist theories. And so they also discuss how uh, patriarchy and how patriarchy that is also instilled within law enforcement and armed forces institutions has had negative consequences for social justice in the region. So does that give you the impression that there actually may be women who are part of the group or just um, incredibly enlightened men? I mean, both. But I would not be surprised if you had some very incredibly talented women uh, who participate in this, but also some men who are allies of the cause and who also want to see, you know, social justice, because ultimately feminism is not just about women, but it, it has to do with equal protection for everyone. So one question on just about everybody's mind is, what's next? Hiram, who has had access to the Guacamaya files, says it's not over yet. As a researcher, he's been given access to parts of their server. And while he can't see exactly what's inside all of it, what he can see is lots of new activity. We're receiving sometimes a notification that there is some changes in their folder, in their server, but we can't check what the, what changes or what information they are adding. He thinks Guacamaya may be adding more files, but just hasn't let anyone see them yet. I think they are planning each step that they are doing, like we're going to take our time. So in the meantime, Hiram says he's waiting to see what they come up with next. This is Click Here. In the days following the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, victims trapped in the rubble used social media to let people know they were alive. People tweeted from beneath buildings with coordinates and helpful hints to help locate them. The sheer volume of messages overwhelmed aid workers. And then a group of Turkish software engineers stepped in. Click here's Will Jarvis explains. The calls for help came from all over. Texts, calls, tweets. Like, I'm stuck in closed bathroom or closed balcony or things like that. This is Ere Gunonç. He's a Turkish software engineer based in Istanbul. And on social media last month, he was watching as thousands of posts popped up, people buried under rubble, telegraphing their locations. I just realized people don't know what to do, so I thought, like, my experiences can work in a good way. His experience was in writing software programs for tech and cybersecurity companies. And as he and other engineers watched the news coverage feeling helpless, they had an idea. All these social media posts were being sent into the ether. What if they could connect the request for help with actual help? So they built a platform to do that. It's called Afetharita. Afetharita. In Turkish, it, it means disaster map. And the point of this disaster map is that it could pull data in from across the internet, tweets and posts, and give rescuers the information they needed to save people, all in one place. The point was directing the NGOs and volunteers to the most affected areas. First, he and a team of volunteers wrote programs to read through Twitter and social media posts and then sort and organize those calls for help. The code would grab addresses or coordinates from the tweets 
and then moved them to a map of the region so they could easily find people. Uh, so now I open my map in my computer. He pulls up the map on his screen. Zoom in in Hatay area, which the most affected area in Turkey. Hatay, that's a province in southern Turkey. Once full of temples and old Roman mosaics, it's now a graveyard of rubble. The map on Aray's screen is full of circles. And there's a number. Populated with the number of tweets and posts pulled from various locations. And I can see a heat map. Like, we can see the most affected uh, area in red. If you zoom in, you can see the notification ID and the content of the request. Is it a food request? Is it a help request? Is it a water request or something? Food, help, water, he says. Ere told us that the disaster map reached nearly one million unique visitors in the days following its launch. He and his fellow engineers posted links to it all over social media, and aid workers on the ground started using it. We just took a lot of messages from volunteers and survivors, like uh, my friend and so many people are rescued in that collapsed building thanks to the disaster map. The map is still up and running, though it's only as good as the internet it runs on. And in Turkey, stable internet access is not always a given. We were tracking disruptions due to the earthquake itself. Alp Toker is the director of NetBlocks, an organization that monitors internet access around the world. And he said it's not surprising that massive earthquakes would disrupt access. What bothered him was this other thing, disruptions that seemed to be specific to Turkey's Twitter service. All of a sudden, internet providers in Turkey couldn't connect to the site. This didn't seem like a technical glitch due to a natural disaster. This was purposeful, censorship brought on by a government trying to block criticism of the state. I think it's worth taking pause to think about what exactly that means. This is a time when people do need to communicate. It's really not a time when authorities should be curtailing or limiting access to online platforms. Turkey has been rocked by thousands of aftershocks, and people are still turning to social media to direct rescue teams to where they're needed. What's different now is that they can use programs like Disaster Map. Today's goal is to make it into a customizable app, available for future disasters. And offering free service to the world. So long as the victims and rescuers can stay online. I'm Will Jarvis, and this is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence headlines of the past week. The FBI and U.S. Capitol Police are investigating a breach of DC HealthLink, a DC health insurance marketplace used by thousands of people, including members of Congress and their staffs. According to the DCist, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries sent a letter to the DC Health Benefit Exchange Authority's executive director last Wednesday. That was after the breach was confirmed. They want to know when the group will be notifying affected users about stolen data and what the authority is doing to prevent something like this from happening again. According to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, investment scams are the biggest digital threat these days, with some $3.3 billion in losses in 2022 alone. The scams often claim to offer some great cryptocurrency deal. Business email compromise, in which attackers trick businesses into making bogus payments or intercept legitimate payments, are also rife. They account for nearly $2.7 billion in losses last year alone. And finally, 
The British government has created a new arm of MI5 that will focus on helping businesses and organizations beef up their cyber defenses against both national security threats and Chinese attempts to swipe intellectual property. The arm, which will be known as the National Protective Security Authority, is part of the UK's latest integrated review, and it follows a joint warning from the UK's Domestic Intelligence Service and the FBI, which focused on the emerging threat to businesses posed by espionage activity by the Chinese. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer. And Gabriella Glick is our intern. The show is edited by Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski. And fact-checking is by Darren Ancrum. Our theme music and original compositions in the episode are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks this week to Jonathan Gregg for sharing his reporting with us. He's a reporter over at our sister publication, The Record. And we'd like to thank translators Lucy Novick and Jake Edelstein, who helped us with some of our Spanish content. And we want to hear from you. So please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. Or send us an email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com and check out our website, clickhereshow.com. That's it for this week. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. And we'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.